You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Now, let me ask you, if you will, please, to open your Bible to the 16th chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 16. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read one verse, which is actually just a portion, an introductory portion to the text for the message this morning. Those of you who are guests with us this morning, let me say that for several months now, we have been on a journey with the children of Israel through the book of Exodus. And this evening's message will be out of that book of Exodus. And this morning's message is a question. Are you living in the wilderness? Are you living in the wilderness? Now, in just a few moments when we stand together and read this scripture, you're going to see the word wilderness in it. And this word wilderness in the scripture is an interesting word. It refers to a wide open and very desolate place. By the way, and you'll, I think uh, some of you will be very interested in this, on occasion in the Scripture, this word is also used to describe someone's mouth. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? A wide open and a desolate place. I heard about a dentist who uh, said to a lady as he was working on her teeth, my, you have the largest mouth I've ever seen in my life. And she said, don't say that. That hurts my feelings. I don't have anything to do with that. And he said again, my, you have the largest mouth I've ever seen in my life. She said, I told you not to say that. He said, I didn't. That was the echo. Um, <clears throat> so this word wilderness, this, this word wilderness refers to a wide open and very desolate place. Now, we're going to see the children of Israel during these next several months wandering through the wilderness. There are several parts of the wilderness area of Sinai, and we're going to be looking at one of them. You, you will see the word sin, S-I-N, and actually we will pronounce that this morning, seen, because that's the appropriate Hebrew pronunciation of the word. And it refers to a place that has land made that is clay and where thorns grow. So this wide open, desolate place, a lot of clay out of which thorns are growing, which makes travel very, very tedious. The title of the message, Are You Living in the Wilderness? I believe that uh, there's some this morning who, without my even amplifying the passage of Scripture this morning, would say immediately, Preacher, I think I know what you mean, and the truth of the matter is, my life right now is a wilderness experience. I have a lost sense of direction. I have a lost sense of purpose. I'm not sure every day when I get up that I am really making any progress at all. But Brother Tom, I'll tell you this, whatever steps I take, I take by the hardest effort. You talk about a wide open space where there's clay and where there are thorns. I can tell you honestly, I'm traveling through life by great difficulty right now. And some of you are ahead of me and some of you know that that's what's happening in your life. Life is hard and you're searching for meaning and you're searching for purpose and you're searching for fulfillment in your life. 
and yet you can't seem to find it. And the problem is that just going on in life every day for you is something that requires an incredible amount of effort. Just getting up, just going to work, just being civil to other people, if you are in fact, requires an incredible amount of effort on your part. Somewhere along the way in your experience, it is as if the devil has come to you, inserted a syringe into your heart, and is somehow drawn out from it the joy and the peace and the purpose and the strength for daily living. It's gone, and you don't know where it went, and you don't know how to get it back. And life has become for you a very, very tedious experience. Are you living in the wilderness? Some of us this morning might say, yes, I am. Now, let me just mention two things before we stand together and read this passage of Scripture. Israel was separated from Egypt by this great peninsula, which is referred to by various names in the Scripture. Here, we're going to call it the wilderness. Sometimes it's called the Shephelah. Sometimes it's called the desert. There are various references to this passage, huge Sinai Peninsula. Egypt in the Bible always represents a place of bondage. When God's people were in Egypt, they were always in bondage. Canaan or Israel always represents being where God wants you to be, living the way God wants you to live, a place of fulfillment, the promised land. It's not, uh, Canaan is not a picture of heaven because there were still battles in Canaan, the difference being that in the wilderness you fought against God and in Canaan you fought with God against the enemies of God and of course that was a distinct advantage. Now listen, when you are moving away from God and His will, when you've turned your back, on God's plan for your life. You've taken matters into your own hand. When you're determined to solve your own problems, your own way, you're going to get your thing, you're going to do your thing. When you are moving away from God, the wilderness actually serves to you as a place of warning. And you will discover, as you if you're a child of God, if you turn your back on God, you will discover that life starts getting tough. Life starts getting hard. You begin to get hemmed in. Your hopes become dashed. You're, you begin to be filled with disheartened uh, living and disillusionment. And that wilderness is a warning. It is shouting to you, go back, go back, go back to God, where He is the center of your life and you're surrendered to Him. Now, that's what the wilderness is for people who are moving away, who have turned their back on God and are moving away from His will. But if you have found yourself in bondage and you are seeking to get back to that place of fellowship with God, the wilderness then becomes a place of discipline. And it becomes a place where you learn who God is and what God can do. It's a place where you're reminded over and over again of how important it is to serve God and to honor Jesus as Lord of your life. So going away from God, what is the wilderness? It is a warning. Going back to God, what is a wilderness? It is a place of discipline. And so the children of Israel have been in bondage and in slavery in Egypt. They have now been set free. They have witnessed incredible miracles. 
And now they find themselves following a time when they have camped at a place called Elam where there's wonderful sweet water, 12 wells, one well for every tribe, water in abundance, and now they're on the move again. So stand with me, if you will, please. And let's look, beginning with verse 1, or read it together, just verse 1 in chapter 16. I'd like for you to read it out loud with me. Verse 1, chapter 16. Let's read it together. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. Before we pray, let me say to you that this chapter has in it the account of God's sending manna, the food upon which the children of Israel existed, lived for 40 years. It was not until they came to Canaan, to the borders of the Jordan River, to cross over into Canaan, that the manna ceased coming every morning, six days a week. Incredible, incredible. And that account is in the Scripture. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting, believing that your Holy Spirit will speak to every person this morning whose life right now seems to be in the wilderness. Those who don't know which way to turn. Those for whom life has become difficult. Those, Lord, who seem to take every step by the hardest. Some, Heavenly Father, have just recently turned their back on you and the wilderness is to them a warning. Others, Lord, have been in bondage for years and years and the wilderness is a place where you want to teach us. And so, Father, I pray that we would answer honestly the question, am I living in the wilderness? And, Father, I pray that answering that question, you then would show us how to proceed. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open. You're going to need to be looking at several verses of Scripture with me in chapter 16 during the next few minutes. Am I living in the wilderness? You've got the picture. A place of warning for those of you who only recently have turned your back on the Lord and you're moving away, you're doing your own thing, you've got your own plan, you have determined how you're going to live, you've determined what you're going to do, you've made up your mind that's the way it's going to be, even though you know what you're doing, what you're thinking is against the principles and the laws, the precepts of God, you are following your path and this wilderness, life is getting hard for you, this wilderness is God's warning, don't come this way. And some here have been many years in bondage and you want out, you know Jesus is the only way that you can get out. And trusting him, you have received forgiveness and cleansing of sin and yet you say, I've still got all this baggage, all these things to deal with and God is going to discipline you during this time and show you how to take each step in such a fashion that he gets the glory, he gets the honor and that your life is changed, it becomes powerful and meaningful, and you have direction in your life. But first, you've got to answer this question, am I living in the wilderness? Am I living in the wilderness? And what I'd like to do during these next few moments is to give you five characteristics of life in the wilderness. And you ask yourself about any one of these, is this true of my life? Is this true in my experience today, all right, what are the characteristics of the wilderness? Number one, discord. Discord. Look with me, if you will, please, at verse 2. 
and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. There was a murmuring. There was discord. You know, the children of Israel are an incredible study for us. And do you know why studying them is so significant? Because they are a picture of your life and my life. It's interesting, isn't it, how God has blessed these people, and yet at every turn how ungrateful they are. They murmured because they were in bondage, and God sent a deliverer. Moses showed up with a plan, and they began to complain about the plan. Finally, Moses led them out, and they came to the sea, the Red Sea, and they complained to God, and God delivered them across the Red Sea as on dry ground. Then they began to complain about the water, and God brought them to Elam, and there was this wonderful, sweet water. But it seems that their memory is so short. Why are they such an interesting study? Because their story is your story and my story. No matter how God seems to bless us, it seems that our memory is so short. And so the children of Israel now have turned from this place called Elam, these sweet wells with that sweet, sweet water, and they have turned and they're heading out into the wilderness of Sin. And they're not out there very long before they begin to complain. They begin to murmur. They begin to get murmur against Moses and Aaron. By the way, let me just say for those of you who aspire to positions of leadership, you better think twice before you seek it. Let leadership seek you rather than you seeking it. One of the things that you will discover in the book of Exodus is that there are an incredible number of lessons on leadership. And I want you to notice that when God doesn't seem to be treating the children of Israel right, the children of Israel complain to whom? They complain to Moses and his sidekick Aaron. And by the way, when the children of Israel disobey, to whom does God speak? He speaks to Moses and he speaks to Aaron. And so leadership can be a very uncomfortable mantle to wear if you're not sure you belong there. It should seek you. You shouldn't seek it. I mean, people all the time say, well, if I could just be head of this, if I could just be boss of that, if I could just be chief of this, if I could just be the leader of this, man, I would make all these changes. Just remember, when you're in a position of leadership, there are some awesome responsibilities. Now, the children of Israel are complaining to Moses and Aaron. Now, here's something that I want you to see. I hope you'll write this down someplace. When my focus shifts from God to myself, I will inevitably begin to complain about the circumstances of my life. When you meet someone who is complaining, or when you begin to complain, I don't like this, I don't like that, I'm being treated poorly. My life is rough. This is tough. I can't accept that. Why does God treat me this way? Why do other people do this to me? Why is life not the way that I want it? What has happened when the person complains is that their focus has shifted from God to themselves. Now, you think about that just for a moment because there's probably not a person in here who at some time or the other doesn't complain, bellyache, gripe, 
about some experience we had or about something we're going through or about something we liked or something we didn't like. I remember one day a person talking to me about a worship service and they were saying, you know, why do we always do this or always do that? And, you know, we have an order of worship and certain things seem to just sort of fall into play. And they say, you know, we always take the offering at this time or we all, you know, why do we, why do we, we follow this? And, and uh, we talked about that a little bit. And the more I talked with this individual, the more I began to understand that he was, uh, uh, you know, he, he just didn't like it. And, um, and finally he said, he said, well, the truth of the matter is, and he just said the words, he said, I just don't like it. And I said, well, you know, there's a very interesting thing about a worship service. A worship service, worship is God word. It's for the benefit of our expression to God. Uh, worship benefits us and it does us good to express our love and our gratitude to God. But worship is for God. He is the audience, not me. I said, I, let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you came to a worship service and you focused upon God rather than what you wanted to see happen? And this man is a, is a friend of mine. He said, well, I'll just be honest with you. He said, it's been a long time. And I said, well, let's, let's just talk about that. You know what he was saying? In a moment of candor, in a moment of honesty, he was saying, I'll just be honest with you. My, my complaint is born out of the fact that I have taken my focus off of God and put my focus on myself, what I want, the way I want. Now, that can happen in your family. It can happen about the food at your table. It can happen about the car you drive. It can happen about the job you have. It can happen about the way your wife does something or your husband does something or the way people treat you. Well, listen, one of the evidences of a wilderness is discord. And discord happens when I take my eyes off of God and put them on myself. If you want to get on God's seven most hated list, be a person of discord. One of the seven most hated in the book of Proverbs are those who are sowers of discord among the brethren. So let me ask you about your home. Is it a happy place because you are there or are you the source of criticism? Let me ask you about your job. Is it a place where there's fulfillment and joy and effectiveness or is it a place where you're constantly criticism? Let me ask you about your church. Let me ask you about your friends. Are you the source of criticism and whining and complaining? If so, you've taken your eyes off God, put them on yourself, and you're in the wilderness, friend, because discord is a sign of the wilderness. Number two, disrespect. Disrespect. Notice what they said here. The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, when we had eaten bread to the full. Now notice this. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Moses and Aaron, in spite of the fact that we asked God to deliver us, in spite of the fact that he did, in spite of the fact that we've seen these miracles, in spite of the fact that we, we crossed the Red Sea, we are led by the cloud in day, the pillar of fire at night, in spite of all of this, we have no respect for you. Disrespect. You've just brought us out here to kill us. Would you put this away someplace in your heart? Did you know that if I am out of fellowship with God, I will generally compound my problems by showing disrespect for those entrusted with my welfare. If I'm out of fellowship with God, 
Do I solve my problems by being out of fellowship with God? No. Generally, I make matters worse. How do I make matters worse? By showing disrespect for the very people God has entrusted with my welfare. Think about this, students. You get out of fellowship with God, you're not reading the Word of God, you're not praying, you're not serving God. All of a sudden in the home, things get really tough. And you say to yourself, man, I, I don't like the way my parents are doing this. You stomp your foot, you slam the door, which your parents should not allow you to do, by the way. You, you get sullen and you sulk. That's not just something that kids are entitled to. That is bad behavior, mom and dad. Don't, it should never get started. But you get sullen, you sulk, you pout, you throw yourself across the bed, you kick the door, you, you kick the wall. You know what you're doing? Are you solving one problem? You are not solving problems. You're creating problems. Life's going to get worse for you. Why? Because you've showed disrespect for the very people God has entrusted with your welfare. And that happens at work. You don't like the way things are going at work and you start murmuring. You know, he ought not to do this. We ought to get more. We ought to get off. We ought to do this. We don't have the benefits. We don't, you know, the conditions are awful. You begin murmuring at work. You're living in the wilderness, friend. And it can happen between husbands and wives. God has created this unique partnership between a husband and a wife. And all of a sudden, I get in the wilderness. I get away from God. And you start showing disrespect for people. God has entrusted your welfare to those people. For instance, I have, I've been in conversations where a wife constantly backbiting, constantly trying to whittle her husband down. Well, he says that, but he doesn't mean, well, he tries that. Well, he never could do that. Well, or a husband constantly making fun of her wife. Well, look at the way she looks. Well, she couldn't do that. Well, she's constantly picking away. What's happening? You're showing disrespect for the people, the very people to whom God has entrusted. He's entrusted your welfare to those people. And so here are Moses and Aaron. And God has entrusted the welfare. They're going to march. They better learn how to get along together. They're going to be together for 40 years, Moses and the children of Israel. And yet these people already have disrespect in their heart for them. We'd have rather died in the wilderness. We'd rather died in Egypt than to be out here. You just brought us out here to kill us. They suspected their motives. They suspected their mission in life. They just had disrespect. And so if you have a life filled with disrespect, you become cynical, you become hard. I meet certain people, they don't have a good word to say about anybody. They, they don't, they, you know, it starts from the top down. They become cynical. They, they don't like anything in the government. They don't like anything at the plant. They don't like anything at the home. They're just cynical. What's happened? You're in the wilderness. Disrespect, number three, disdain. Disdain. Would to God, they said, we had died in Egypt. Have you thought about how stupid that is? They were in Egypt begging God to deliver them. After 400 years of, first they started out, it was a blessed life, but things had gotten tough and there arose a king who knew not Joseph and he kept wanting more, more bricks and kept giving them less straw and, and he, he just said more and more and he was demanding of them and they were begging for a deliverer. Now here they are, two months out in the wilderness and they said, you know, we would have rather died by the flesh pots of Egypt and to die out here with you in the wilderness. Listen to this. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we ate bread to the full. Now listen. Self-centeredness. 
which is what gets you really quickly into the wilderness. Self-centeredness results in disdain for that which is truly valuable. You know what you'll end up doing? I will gladly, you'll say, I will gladly sacrifice costly freedoms for personal gratification. Do you want to know where the A number one prime example of that is? It is our nation. In our nation today, there is runaway big government. In virtually every aspect of our lives, our government, which was designed basically to deliver mail, keep us safe, and stay out of our face, our government is encroaching. And you know what? We've come to expect that they're supposed to do everything. They're supposed to educate me. They're supposed to insure me. They're supposed to feed me. They're supposed to not let me fail. Listen, freedom is this. It's not only the freedom to succeed, it's the freedom to fail. But we say, no, we want the government to ensure nothing ever goes wrong, nothing fails, I can't have anything hard in life. You know what we do? We in this nation are turning over valuable freedoms for what? Personal gratification. As long as I've got food on the table, as long as I've got a good salary, as long as the stock market's up, as long as things are going good, I'll let the government have anything they want, and I'll be glad to work until May the 30th of every year just in order to pay my taxes so they can do what I think the government ought to do for me. But let's get off this government business for just a minute. I mean, that's true. You digest that. For, that's what they were saying. We would rather have been a slave to the Egyptian government and had full bellies than have been out here as free men and women. Listen, this nation was started by people who cherished freedom, not full bellies, freedom. But there are other things that are incredibly valuable for us. And a person who's in the wilderness just disdains them. Esau was a person like that. Esau came in hungry. His, his brother Jacob said, I'll give you a bowl of soup if you'll give me your birthright. He said, done. And he traded something of incredible worth for a bowl of soup. And you couldn't trade something, trade something of incredible worth for nothing. Your virginity for an experience. the welfare of your marriage for a night. You see, you can take something that is incredibly valuable and disdain it. That's life in the wilderness. Number four, disobedience. Disobedience. Am I living in the wilderness? This is what you're asking. Is there disobedience in my life? Now, time doesn't permit me this morning to tell you the whole story of manna. Incredible. I'm going to deal with that tonight. I'm trusting God will bring you back tonight. I would love nothing more than to know that this was a church fellowship where people as a whole were engaged in a quiet time with God and the Word of God every day. It would revolutionize this city. But God gave them food to eat. They called it manna, which means, what is this? He gave them some instructions about eating it. He said, go out and gather just as much as you're going to eat in a day six days a week. He said, don't keep any over. But you know what they did? Some of them went out there and they kept some over. And so it began to putrefy and got wormy and Moses got angry. They couldn't even obey the simplest instructions. And then Moses said, look, on the sixth day, according to God, on the sixth day, gather double. This is one reason you know this was a miracle because no manna appeared on the ground every seventh day. 
It wasn't like it was out there and they just weren't supposed to gather. This was a miraculous event. And so he said on the sixth day, gather enough for two days because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But you know what happened? The seventh day rolled around. There they were out rummaging around looking for manna, which they couldn't find. They could not obey God. Now listen, if your inherent basic nature about everything is to disobey, you are living in the wilderness. In fact, in verse 28, he says there, how long will you refuse to keep my commandment? What is it with you guys? that you refuse to keep my commandments. And there are people, I know people, who would rather climb a tree and tell a lie than just stand on the ground and tell the truth. They go out of the way to be dishonest. They go out of the way to be deceptive. Basically disobedient. Now, here's the truth. If I do not accept the authorities God has placed in my life where I work, in my home, in my church, in this government, if I do not accept the authorities that God has placed in my life, neither will I appreciate the messages He is sending me through them. If I do not accept the authorities God has placed in my life, if, if I'm at outs with my mom and dad, if I'm at outs with the folks at work, listen, if I'm just complaining, complaining, discord, I'm in the wilderness, all right? If that is a story of my life, then I am going to miss these tremendously valuable messages God is sending me through those people. God's trying to tell me something. God was speaking to the children of Israel through Moses, but they wouldn't listen. They were just disobedient. You know why? They didn't respect Moses, and so they didn't respect what he said. They thought he was out there to kill them, and so they didn't respect what he said. Here, here are the ground rules for gathering this manna. And so they missed the message and suffered the consequences for it, disobedience. And finally, discipline. You say, man, I tell you what, as I look at my life, I must be in the wilderness. There's discord or disrespect or disdain or disobedience. What about discipline? Discipline. If you look at the last few verses of this chapter, you'll discover that the children of Israel ate manna 40 years. Now look up here just for a moment. You think they got used to the manna drill? Do you, you, think, you think they finally got it all down right? Do you think after 20 years they were out gathering? Do you think? No, no, no. No, God was determined to keep them where they were until they learned to obey Him. You know why I know that? Because when you read in the book of Deuteronomy, God's assessment, we're going to look at this this evening, God's assessment of the 40-year journey. He said, I led you all this way for this purpose. Here it is. Are you ready? That you might learn that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God does man live. Now, Jesus quoted that on the Mount of Temptation. You remember? It's recorded in the Gospels. Man doesn't live by bread only. He said, I'm trying. He said, I'm, I'm disciplining you so that you will, so listen, so that you will be fit to take into Canaan. If you can't learn this trip, why should I trust you? Learn this lesson, why should I trust you with Canaan? And some of you are wondering why God doesn't trust you with greater things. And the truth of the matter is, it is because you have not learned to trust him in the small things. Discipline. Look at this. One evidence that I belong to God. You're wondering, am I, am I really saved? One evidence that I belong to God is his discipline which is designed to bring me to a point of surrender. 
One evidence that I belong to God is His discipline in my life, which is designed to bring me to a point of surrender. Not a breaking of my spirit, but a breaking of my will to the point that I say, God, if that's what you say, that's what I do. And some of you this morning would say, man, it is obvious to me that God is bringing discipline in my life. I've been around this mountain. I've been in this wilderness so long. And God keeps saying things to me. He's shouting at me through my family circumstances, through my job, through my economy, through my health, through every way that you can imagine. God is getting, he's wanting me to trust him. And I keep resisting. I go here, I go there. I say this, I hire that. And the reality is God is just waiting for you to get to a point of surrender where you say, Lord, yes. Lord, yes. If I'm aware that this is your plan for my life, you can be assured that I will accommodate. I'll walk with you. So are you in the wilderness? Is there in your life discord, disrespect, disdain, disobedience, discipline? Are you walking across this vast area that seems like it's covered with clay and with thorns and every step is difficult and you don't know where to turn and you're not even sure you're on your way out. You think maybe some days I'm getting deeper in to the problem rather than farther out. Are you living in the wilderness? The whole purpose of this is so that you will learn to look to God and absolute surrender. Say yes. Father in heaven, I pray trusting that your Holy Spirit will bring every one of us this morning to a moment of surrender. I pray, Heavenly Father, there would not be one person who would leave here saying, but I'm going to do it my way, my thing. I pray that, Lord, that any person to whom you have shown this startling truth, hey, you're in the wilderness, would right now surrender to you, Lord, the shortest route out of discipline and disobedience and disdain, the shortest route out of disrespect and discord is surrender to you, focus of our attention upon you. And Lord, this morning I pray that many would make that decision to say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In a few moments we're going to stand. Our choir is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. When we stand and when the choir begins singing, those who've made decisions in recent days, such as those who are baptized and will introduce, will come here where it says seating for new members. Our prayer warriors will be coming. Counselors will be coming. There'll be men standing here at the head of every one of these aisles. And this is your invitation to Christ. Some of you simply need to come and say, I'm in the wilderness and I surrender to God. You want to kneel right here at this altar. Lord, you know my life is a wilderness and I want to surrender to you. And you'll kneel here and pray along with others that God will show you the straightest path out of the wilderness. But there are others here this morning who would have to say quite honestly, look, over these past several weeks, I've had plenty of time to contemplate whether I truly would go to heaven if I died. Whether I truly can say that Jesus is alive in my heart. Not just that I know a lot of things about him, but that I have truly repented of sin and trusted in Jesus. And God's shown you that you haven't. And you don't have the confidence this morning if you died, you'd go to heaven, or that your sins are forgiven, or that things are right between you and God, but you want that. 
And the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And this morning you want to call upon the Lord Jesus. And so when we stand this morning, I'm going to encourage those of you who would say that quite honestly to leave your seat, make your way to this altar, find a counselor and say, look, I'm trusting Jesus today. I'm trusting Jesus today. Students, God may be showing you that. You've got a whole week of camp ahead of you. Wouldn't it be great if you went knowing that it was settled between you and Jesus? Moms and dads, your moment to say, I'm trusting Jesus. Sir, wouldn't it revolutionize your family? If you said this morning, I'm giving him my life. I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior this morning. So I want to encourage you to come and find a counselor here at the front. Front, Make that very simple statement. They'll pray with you, gives you some information to help you grow, and your life will never, ever be the same. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that none of us could come to the Father but by him. Because you see, all of us are sinful, and we're separated from God because the wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He has risen from the grave. He has promised as a living Savior to give you eternal life if you would trust him this morning. So your statement, I'm trusting Jesus this morning. Say that to a counselor here at the front. If God's speaking to you about becoming a part of this church family, would you make that decision this morning quickly? As a family, would you come? As an individual, would you come? single person, couple, just come, find a counselor and say, look, I want to join. We want to join. Our family wants to join. This church become a part of what God's doing here. Would you make that decision this morning? It could be there's something else on your heart. You want to visit with a counselor about it? Come tell them. Come tell them right now. We're going to pray together right now. Every head bowed. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit right now will minister in power in this place. Lord, let nothing distract us. Let nothing keep us from saying yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. As you stand, just come on right now.